Wow, I, uh, I really feel like cannon fodder after that particular intro. Um, it's kind of hard to feel those shoes. Um, so, yeah, as, as Christian said, my name's Phil Hawksworth, uh, and I work at an agency in London, uh, a big marketing kind of branding agency called RGA. Um, now, as you'd expect, you know, for someone who works at an agency like that, works on big clients, people like Nike and O2 and kind of big kind of uh, thundering brands, um, I'd have some kind of creativity kind of coursing through my, my veins. And I think you know, that's evident in my Twitter handle. Um, a lot of imagination has gone into that. And that's just the first example of many, hopefully, that of uh, the kind of creativity that I'm going to bring to this, this session. Congratulations on being here, by the way, not being at home, hungover in bed like some of us have been. Uh, along the way. Um, but I'm here uh, to talk uh, about a delicate subject, and that's that I can smell your content management system. Uh, it reeks, frankly. Um, and I'll be honest, I'm a tiny bit anxious talking on this stage. I'm ex very excited to be here. Um, but I'm anxious because I'm surrounded by some really amazing speakers today. I mean, there have been some things that have blown my mind. Uh, I'm sure everyone's had you know, lots of moments that I thought been really impressive. So that's a hard company to be in. Um, as Christian said, this is the post-lunch dip, so we've all got full bellies. I'm probably not going to doze off. If you couldn't, that would be great, much appreciated. Um, and also, I'm talking about content management systems. Now, these are not necessarily the most exciting things to bring to a tired group of people to talk about. So if you put all of those things together, it feels a tiny bit like this is the, the perfect storm of, you know, of a failure opportunity. Don't want it to be dull, I don't want it to be the perfect yawn. And yes, that is the kind of pun that you can expect. This is the standard we're operating on here. This is just the second example of the kind of creative juices I've got here. Um, now, I was talking to a few people in, in the bar the last couple of nights about you know, how to make a talk about content management systems, even remotely interesting. And they said, oh, you're fine, you're, you're in Amsterdam. Just make sure you include lots of cocks. Um, I don't... That wasn't the direction I had been going in, I'm going to be completely honest. And I looked through my slides, I've got quite a lot of slides, um, and I realised that I hadn't got any cocks in there at all. So I went through very quickly and added some. Um, I don't know if that's exactly what everyone was after. I don't know, do people recognise the cock on the right? Um, uh, so, so, yeah, that is our kind of our, our, our scary friends, Mr. Archibald. I love the fact there's a round of applause for showing a picture of an awkward teenage boy, but there you go. Um, okay, let's move on. Frontiers, you know, we're talking a lot about front-end development and kind of things pertaining to the front-end. Um, and I'm talking about content management systems, so it's perhaps worth giving you a little bit of context and setting this up a little bit. As you now know, I work in an agency. How many people here, just a show of hands, work in an agency, or you know, large or small, or who have kind of clients that they have to service that you know, you're not working on a product? Okay, so kind of a smattering. Um, so maybe this is a bit familiar to you, the fact that agencies, I certainly find, have a bit of a dilemma. Um, and you could almost say that agencies have a, pro a problem which is common to a lot of their projects. That problem is the clients. And you know, I should be careful saying that because it's not the kind of thing that my, my colleagues and my bosses are particularly keen for me to say. But working with clients um, often brings a certain set of challenges. Um, of course, they come to you and they've got a problem that they want you to solve, and they've got an idea in their head of how maybe they want you, want them, they want you to do that. Um, you know, they, they've got this solution in mind, and they kind of just want to pay the money and, and for you to give them what they want. Now, that sometimes is at odds with actually what is the best solution to that problem. Sometimes the thing that they want actually isn't exactly what they need. And so there's this kind of this gap sometimes between you know, what they're coming expecting to get and then what you, what you should really be delivering to them. Um, 
I was kind of musing about this on Twitter uh, recently, and an old colleague of mine kind of said this. He said, uh, you know, um, the problem with agency work is the fact that it's happening in agencies, and that kind of stung a little bit, but I understand what he's talking about, because it's hard to kind of treat the projects you're working on sometimes as your, as your baby, in the same way that you would if you were building your own product or your own, your own services. Um, and that's something that, that really matters to me a lot, because you know, I've come from a, a background where I was not in the agency world, and I like crafting things that are really good citizens of the web and really perform beautifully and kind of have the kind of finish that you'd expect when you're building your own stuff, of course. So there's that kind of, that kind of tension there that exists. Um, I personally feel that it's even more the responsibility of people who work at an agency to make sure that they're behaving sensibly when they're building things for the web, uh, particularly for the developers there, because uh, of a number of, re of reasons. You know, first of all, you know, often very lucky in that we can get to work on big brands, you know, places, things that have got you know, some kind of cachet to them sometimes, rightly or wrongly, you know, a big household name. And often the work you do then is, is seen by a lot of people. It goes onto a big stage, often accompanied by some kind of big marketing push or TV campaign. Or, you know, it's got a bit of a whiz-bang behind it to, to drive a lot of people there. So there's a large audience there for that. Um, and so it really upsets me when I see things that have been done by agencies that are just a little bit irresponsible. Uh, did anyone see this recently, the, the new Grosch site? I've got to be careful talking about stuff like this. Inevitably, there's going to be someone in the audience who throws things at me because they worked on it. But I was a little bit frustrated. I just kind of move along, kind of skip past some of the loading. But frustrated to see this. And, you know, we've all seen this before, um, and I've got to be careful that I don't go down a tangent and go into a different talk. But, you know, this another one of these single-page, scrolly, monstrosities that is just, you know, this, don't all look at this, by the way, now. This is a 30 megabyte homepage, um, so don't go and hammer the Wi-Fi with this. But, you know, this, is, this kind of thing is hot on the heels of another site that I've kind of, I've talked about a little bit in the past, um, the Beatles site, which, again, is a piece of work by a big, heavyweight, expensive agency. And you can see how, you know, we're kind of um, looking at examples of work on the web, and then people are taking that and saying, oh, we could do something similar and move along. And that's kind of the way that things happen very often. That's how we progress forward. We see things, we take some inspiration, and we move along. Um, there's definitely not just a technical example, but also creativity. You know, we sometimes learn by example, and we see things that give us that, that kind of inspiration. And so, you know, I'd seen those couple of examples, and they'd been talked about a lot. Uh, and I was being a little bit glib when I was saying, you know, can we stop this before somebody gets hurt? Then I was really dismayed to see this. Did anyone see this? This is the Milwaukee Police News website which is another one of these things, right? It's, you know, there's probably very important content in here, I imagine, squirreled away somewhere behind the, the kind of police academy lineup that we've got there. Um, I, I'm probably making you feel a little bit queasy with this scrolling up and down. I promise I'm not doing that on purpose. That was me just trying to get the thing to stick in a certain position, but it's, it tries to be helpful to kind of uh, to scroll you to the right place. This carousel is a lot of fun, obviously looking at stats and seeing this kind of marching thing walk across. If you're, if you're using that with audio on, I'm sparing you the audio, you can just about hear like, the sound of a dog barking over your fan, whirring away, because there's a dog in that lineup as well, which is barking at you. But I just think this is a really poor example of doing responsible work on the web. Um, it kind of struck me as a cross between like, the characters of SWAT and the characters of Reno 911. Um, it's, I'm sure the people of, you know, the men and women of the Milwaukee Police Department do really good work, and I don't think this represents them uh, very well. So apart from the kind of creative 
uh, direction that these kind of things give and the way that we see them and learn by example. Of course, we've already mentioned and talked about quite a lot today the value of viewing source and how that's such a, uh, an important resource for all of us as we build things on the web. And so, you know, I think that's part of this responsibility that agencies and all of us indeed have when we build things on the web is to make sure that we do so in such a way that um, it kind of moves us forward and actually in, imbues kind of good uh, kind of craftsmanship in the code. I'm delighted to hear, hear the word craft so many times today uh, and over the last couple of days because um, I think you know, that really does describe the kind of we work, work that all of us kind of aspire to in the front end. Um, so regardless of all of these kind of tensions that there are uh, working with clients and agencies, one thing that we certainly, uh, I certainly agree with, uh, with, uh, with clients is this desire to avoid lock-in. You know, as, as I may have said, um, I'm from an open source background, so I'm kind of keen to avoid all kinds of lock-in. And the kind of lock-in that agencies, uh, that, sorry, that clients uh, are interested in is they don't want to get locked into a particular agency. They don't want to spend a lot of money with you to then go and build something that they can't operate themselves in the future. Um, and that's a, that's a reasonable thing. That makes a lot of sense to me. Um, and a way that they often try and dodge that, of course, is that they ask you to build a site in such a way that they can manage all the content themselves through one of these things. Um, and that will sol solve all of their problems, mostly. Um, I love that turtle. Um, and I think, actually, there are some cases where the CMS doesn't solve all of their problems. And that's, that often is as a result of something that I like to call the CMS paradox. So straight away, another shining example of my kind of branding of terms. Um, the CMS paradox is, is really uh, more obvious in large organizations with large enterprise-level software. You know, big companies like the security of paying a lot of money for a platform because that means it must be good. You know, if you've paid a fortune for it, then there must be a reason that it can be a trusted, kind of expensive piece of kit. I actually think that often that's what that means uh, rather than anything else. Um, and one of, the, one of the issues with this kind of CMS paradox is the flexibility that you have in a content management system. Right? The big expensive ones allow you to do anything you like. You can control everything. And so they've got a great deal of flexibility. But in actual fact, that flexibility that they provide doesn't always translate into having something that is a flexible solution. Um, and one of the reasons for that is this kind of choice paralysis that you get when you're, when you're given the option to control absolutely anything in the site that you've had delivered. Um, they're very complex things to use. Um, and that leads often to, to this, this strange kind of... Uh, um, uh, relationship between the cost of a system and actually the cost of making changes to it. Now, if, you, if you're having to send your, your team on, uh, on training sessions and actually train someone specifically to use this piece of kit, then actually the, the ability to make changes in there has a cost associated with it. And now that kind of complexity is in all, all kinds of places, uh, but one of them which is really common is making sure that you've got a very powerful workflow. You know, people who've paid a lot of money for something that's going to manage their .com site don't want any Tom, Dick or Harry to be making content changes and then pushing those out to, to real people in the real world. So what you find often is that there's a very complex layer of authentication and permissions and, uh, and privileges that people have right down from just a content uh, editor right the way through to someone who's able to push the big kind of magic go live deploy button and everything in between. Um, 
But that's kind of at odds with just getting stuff done because the more layers of control you put in there, the harder it is to manage it all the way through there. And of course, everyone in that process needs to know how to use the system. Um, and that kind of thing is very popular at the point that you're choosing a content management system or choosing a platform for your site to run on. Um, the people you know, at the top like to have the idea of control, but ultimately these aren't the people who are going to be using it. You know, often the, the content is managed by just someone else with work experience, an, an intern, and often, often when it gets very complicated, then we have to bring in a developer after all. Um, as a result, the first thing that happens when you've got all of these layers of, uh, of authentication is we just end up subverting the system. You know, we've got six different layers of permissioning, but we can't get it done, so make everyone a super admin, and they can do anything they like. So we invest a lot of time, effort, and money in these systems that ultimately we just kind of walk around. Now, this is me grumbling a little bit, it's turning into a tiny bit of therapy, and this isn't exactly the point of what I wanted to talk about. Um, I was really talking about smell, right? Um, Later on, Rebecca Murphy is going to do a talk about code smell and how, you know, what that is and how we can eradicate it. Um, so I don't really need to overlap on that too much. Um, but just suffice to say that you know, this is gospel because it's from Wikipedia. You know, uh, code smell is like a symptom in the source code that possibly indicates a deeper problem. Right? So it's something that's been implemented a little bit shonkily um, that still works, it just works fine, but there's, you know, it's just kind of left its dirty footprints there and it's the kind of thing that you want to uh, refactor out and get it out of your code so that it performs a little bit better uh, and is a little bit easier to maintain. And what I'm suggesting is that content management systems are really big um, uh, perpetrators of smell. They leave a lot of smell in your code. Um, in fact, I'd go as far as to call it stink. Um, and so we should look at some examples of stink, which is an unusual thing to say in front of 500 people. Um, so I think we can all remember the time when, uh, in fact, the time is still here, where URLs on the web often would end in a file extension, right? We've all built things that were just in HTML, and, you know, and that's how they manifested themselves. Um, but of course, we've learned as we've developed and we've kind of become a bit more sophisticated that this is an example of coupling the content quite closely to the technology that underlines it. You know, if, if we wanted then to go and change the way that we'd built our, built our site so that it's no longer running on ASP and now it's on PHP, should we be changing all of the URLs for this content to do so? Well, you know, Timbal tells us that you know, cool URIs don't change and we should kind of care a bit about URIs, URIs and making sure that content has a predictable and kind of stable address. Um, so this automatically is a kind of lock-in, uh, the kind of lock-in that you typically want to avoid. So a real-world example of something that uh, is a content management system that introduces this kind of smell. This is the uh, website that's got launched not too long ago for Burton Snowboards, um, which is a brand I particularly care for, but uh, it's not something that we did at IGA. Um, I was able to take a look at this and just figure out that they were using the same uh, platform that I'm using uh, with, a, with a partner on uh, a project uh, at RGA. Um, so I, I kind of recognize some of the symptoms here. Um, now, this is built on an enterprise-level content management system that has all kind of e-commerce support. So it's a pretty powerful thing. Um, and it's one of the first examples I've seen of kind of a nice responsive web. It's pretty good as a responsive web approach um, that has full e-commerce uh, integration as well. But the problem with it is, is the, like the, the URL for this, you know, I'm not wild about the fact that it's got global in there for what is essentially a web page. It doesn't seem like um, it's good for uh, a localization point of view. But we're not done. Right? The, the URL for the homepage is global.burton.com 
forward slash on forward slash demandware.store. Forward slash sites dash Burton underscore global hyphen site. Forward slash default. Forward slash home. <laughs> dash show. <laughs> so I'm really glad to hear that I'm not the only person to think that that's mental. How could that possibly be the address of the homepage? Now, in fairness, if you type burton.com into your, into your browser, it redirects you to that because it treats burton.com as something it calls a vanity URL, um, or to the rest of us, a URL, um, because URLs should have some kind of meaning. Now, um, I've been battling with this platform a little bit myself recently uh, and discovered that you can have many vanity URLs, but only, actually, only a few because it starts to impact performance, and I just can't quite get my, my head around that. Um, you know, and this is a big enterprise-level platform, um, but I just don't think it's really doing the kind of thing that we should, we should want it to do. So I mentioned that uh, you know, I was able to figure out through my super sleuthery um, what platform that was on. I don't know if you're able to spot it, but hidden very subtly in there is, is the name of the platform. It even actually says on-demandware, so it really makes it quite emphatic for you. Um, and of course, this is a lock-in to a platform when that's, when that's uh, as part of URLs. But worse than that, it's just ugly, right? It's just horrible stuff. You don't want to see it. Um, as we've been talking about a little bit today already, kind of URL design is a bit of a craft, and it's something that's really important. And it's something that I personally think should be part of the, the design process, you know, when the information architecture process is going on, pages that are being designed, whether they're wireframes or if they're low-fidelity sketches, I think they should be being labelled up with the URL to make it part of something that we design along the way. Um, and so really my kind of plea to you, if you're working on anything uh, for a client where they're not really going to care about it, try and find a way to make this a priority. Care about the URLs. Um, my tip for doing that in places where, frankly, the client doesn't give a monkeys about it, um, is that you can start talking about URL stability and the stability of the address of a page. Uh, and you can really call on like, the kind of the siren of social media, which is to say that you know, if, the, if the address of your page changes, you're going to lose your Facebook likes. Um, and that's something that people tend to care about, for, funnily, for a little bit more. Um, so moving on to, to other examples of, of CMS Think uh, and how it impacts performance, uh, I think most people Everyone knows Steve Souders, right? Everyone's kind of familiar with Steve Souders, uh, who's done, done so much for kind of making uh, tuning and performance of websites a bit of a priority for us. Um, you know, as you probably know, Steve Souders started off caring about you know, how he did the tuning at the back end uh, of the systems and you know, making. Uh, everyone loves a pantomime horse or cow or thing. Um, you know, it was really working on making sure that the, the database queries were done in a really performant way and you know, the request that when it came into the server was processed as fast as possible and then returned content to the, to the user. Then he discovered that actually one of the places that it makes a real difference and you can really optimize where it counts is the bottleneck you know, at the front end. And so he started shifting his attention to the front end a little bit more. Um, and that's kind of really led the way and kind of ignited a bit of, uh, 
a, a better understanding in, in a lot of us about you know, the kind of tuning and the kind of optimizations that you need to do in the front end to really make it fly, uh, and all of the tricks, the kind of things that you know, um, uh, Martin was doing with the, in the Google Doodle team that's just mind-blowing, the kind of things that they just squeeze every little bit uh, out and push it down the wire uh, and make things work properly in the browser for you. Um, that kind of craftsmanship is just really important, but of course it sits on top of a foundation because this stuff has to get served from a back-end somewhere. And you really want that to be an elegant solution that's going to not get in your way. So um, a little bit of an example of um, a, a CMS that I've had a bit of experience with. Uh, this is another one of those kind of enterprise-level uh, CMSs. Uh, this is actually a .NET platform. Um, just looking at their own site, if we just take a, a very quick look at the code, um, you know, they, they do good work in that they uh, kind of eat their own dog food. Um, nothing particularly horrific to see straight away, but you know, still rocking the, 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 the transitional doc type um, as they might. Um, but as we kind of come down the page a little bit and see what's going on, um, yeah, maybe they could do some more efficient things with their JavaScript, but hold on a second. What's this form element that we've got here? You know, line 28, ASP.NET form, and it's got a load of hidden, hidden fields. What uh, EpiServer does, as it turns out, is it wraps every page that it serves to the client with a hidden form. And then it sticks in there a hash with a view state in it. Now, this is, this is injected into all of your pages, whether you've asked for it or not. And I don't think I want it there. You know, if we've been spending a lot of time with that kind of craftsmanship, You know, that kind of, that kind of craftsmanship um, is, really, is really important. You know, we've, we've put a lot of care and attention into making sure that our site is going to be as good as it can be in the browser. So we don't want this kind of shite cluttering it up. Um, but this is uh, just a classic example of putting UI hooks into the, into the front end so that people who are doing the administration of content can then come along uh, and, and manage things in place. And this is, this is classic stink, right? Um, now... Modularity and flexibility are exactly the kind of things you'd expect to see uh, in an enterprise-level content management system. Um, and they've got to be a good thing. And they usually are, but they do sometimes have a little bit of an overhead. Um, so a pattern that I've seen a lot in all kinds of content management systems and, and platforms of this variety, either from things like the EpiServer platform we looked at or Demandware, or even, in fact, places like Drupal, you see it as well, um, is this kind of pattern for a module. You know, and a module... It's kind of logically comprised of the elements you'd expect, right? So there's, there's HTML elements in there, and within there, there's some kind of target, some kind of variable that allows you to inject text into it. And then that's often accompanied by some CSS. Often that's inline CSS. Sometimes you know, it's right on HTML elements themselves. Sometimes it's linked to an, another CSS resource. And then likewise for JavaScript. Sometimes it's obtrusive JavaScript right there within the HTML elements. Sometimes it's inline. Sometimes it's linked to externally. And then all of these things are kind of encapsulated in some way that makes them repeatable, uh, that you can, you can have many ways, many instances of them on the page without them clashing. This kind of thing's all kind of wrapped up, and then, and then you have this unit that you can put onto a page. Now, it doesn't take a genius to understand that when you have a component like this, and then you make up a page with lots and lots and lots of these modules, what you end up with is this kind of soup of HTML and then inline CSS and then JavaScript and then more of the same and we go around. 
And this kills rendering performance, right? This is the kind of thing that we're all working hard to squeeze out of our, of our development. Uh, and so, you know, it's also a maintenance nightmare, you know, trying to figure out why something's gone awry when the code's coming from all over the place. Often these modules include different versions of the same library just to keep things interesting for you. So this is another example of Stink. And it's an example that kind of makes Steve Souders cry. You know, it's going to upset him because it's the wrong kind of uh, way to do uh, good performance. And we all should be thinking that we don't want to make Steve Souders cry. Now, another reason, uh, or a reason that I particularly like working at agencies uh, is working with really, really amazing designers. Uh, these are, these are <laughs> really are some of the designers I work with who probably won't be very happy that I'm putting that up on stage, but, but they're incredibly talented. And this opportunity to work on things that's going to look amazing because you're working with these talented people is something that's very enticing for me. And indeed, this kind of design expertise is one of the reasons that a client will come to a large agency or someone who's got that kind of credibility. Now, I think Rachel Andrew um, uh, put it really nicely at SmashingConf a few weeks ago when she was talking along a similar kind of subject. She was saying that CMSs often give users the power to ruin their site. And I think that's absolutely right. You know, in, in this effort to avoid any kind of lock-in, clients often want this control over all of the aspects of the site. So you know, the designs that they've, been, they've maybe paid hundreds of thousands of dollars for, and they've agonized over the position of absolutely everything, well, that's fine, but sometimes we want to put the sidebar over there, you know, and that kind of thing. Um, and a core feature of big enterprise CMSs um, that uh, help you do that is, of course, this one, the Drizzed WYSIWYG. Um, now, WYSIWYG, I think, is dangerous. And again, it's another example of where you know, it doesn't take a genius to understand that over time, there's this kind of attrition. And before you know it, your content has been managed out of all kind of recognizability. So you know, I really think that in, uh, when it comes to looking after the code that we're producing and the quality that we're producing, WYSIWYG just is the enemy, right? Or WYSIWYGGITY, if you prefer. Now, and it's not just that WYSIWYG kind of gives you an unpredictable uh, outcome very often. Um, it also just means that it's really hard to do good work and then protect it, right? So once you, once you have some WYSIWYG uh, controls on there, it's so hard to, to protect the, the experience that's been designed and crafted really carefully. And it's really hard to protect the markup, again, that we've agonized over. So I kind of always want to try and eliminate that. I couldn't resist but go and uh, look at an example of a site that I'd worked on uh, in a former life at another agency um, to see how it's faring now that it had been kind of sent out into the wild. Um, I'm not going to name the site for fear of making myself look silly, um, but it's worth taking a look at this code. So this is code that was in reasonably good shape when we, we left it, and we came back, I came back just a few weeks ago uh, to look at this, and there's lovely stuff in here. I mean, it's great. Just the very first line itself is just fantastic. The fact that they're that somehow, along the way, you know, we've started using um, the, the class of footer on this paragraph, which doesn't really need to be up there. And then we're forcing it to have a font size of four so that that space can be font sized the right way. And that's all we're doing with it. I really like also um, the way that we've got this inline style 
uh, on the anchor tag, you know, setting the color of it at the top there. Uh, and then every word that's inside that anchor tag, uh, which is just click here, um, is individually, you know, it's care and attention to detail, you know. Each element, each word is wrapped in its own strong element and then wrapped in its own uh, font tag, good to see that old friend, uh, and, the, and the color, uh, you know, forcibly overwritten. Um, to say nothing of the English that's there at the bottom, you know, so that sentence reads, please click here to add join our mailing list. And it is, there's all kinds of copy and paste shenanigans that I think have gone on in here, and I don't think any of us want to see this kind of thing. I'll move along, but I can't help sharing this little gem. What's not to love there? Come on. There's nine lines of just nonsense to get, make sure that we've got a little bit of padding at the bottom of the section, and why not? So I don't think there can be any argument that this is an example of CMS stink, right? It's found its way into our code that we've crafted, uh, and we don't want it there. Now, this kind of stink gets there often through the kind of round-tripping that happens in a WYSIWYG editor. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, just looking at this, this one here, um, uh, this is having all of the controls of this particular WYSIWYG editor uh, exposed. And there are a couple there that, that are really important. There's one which you may just be able to make out at the top there, which is paste from Microsoft Word, which obviously warms the cockles of every front-end developer. Um, and, uh, and, and being, that being the case, when that gets included into, uh, into your, uh, copied and pasted into your, your site there, um, that introduces all kinds of funk, right? And you've got to find a way to, to get that put right. So there's another button over here, which is view source. So it means that you can import stuff from Word, and then you can go into the source and fix it because it's been hosed. Um, and the problem is that the, the piece of code that's doing this translation between the two that's going to have to keep going backwards and forwards, it's imperfect, and it can't make head or tail of some of the nonsense that's going on in there. So that kind of has this iterative process of just making things worse and worse and worse, something I like to call circular stink. Um, this is probably the last example of my kind of branding expertise. Now, a way that we can get rid of that is by doing away with WYSIWYGs as much as possible. And I personally like the use of Markdown for this. Markdown's been discussed quite a lot over the last couple of days as a way of you know, being able to uh, enter structured data without having to really get into the nitty-gritty of the HTML. And I think it's the kind of thing that you'd want to be within the grasp of someone that you'd let loose on your content management system. You know, and this gives us a way of kind of having a slightly more structured approach to changing the content that's there and not giving people completely free reign. Um, I'm a big fan of managing the content rather than the design because, of course, that's something that we should be, be, be protecting because that's what's been invested in so much. Um, now, I know that you know, it kind of gets away from the, this kind of lock-in idea, you know, this, this kind of maxim of give a man a fish and he'll eat for a day, teach a man to fish and he'll eat for a lifetime. Well, that's all well and good, but I think context is really important. Sometimes teaching a man to fish isn't the right solution. Now, if this guy's just hosting a barbecue and you give him you know, research papers on intensive salmon farming, he's not going to end up with any fish. He's going to end up with sausages. And they're not going to be good sausages. They're going to be the really nasty sausages made of eyelids and elbows and goodness knows what, what that is. Um, and so, you know, I think it's really important to find ways to challenge the introduction of stink into our content management systems and into our front end. Um, and in that regard, I find that constraints can actually be real enablers. You know? And that's 
through finding this kind of simplicity, we can avoid the choice paralysis that goes on in the first place, but also we can just simplify the implementation of this, of this system uh, and, and really kind of fine-tune it and make sure that the users can do just the thing that they need in a way that's not destructive to us. Now, not every constraint is a good thing and an enabler. I mean, I recently had a conversation with a, a platform vendor that went like this. Um, I didn't really understand how the back end could not be not ever work on a mobile device. I mean, why, why are the two joined together? It doesn't seem to make any sense to me. Uh, it did get followed up with this line as well, you know, the fact that you could buy an add-on for the content management system to make it mobile aware. And we're kind of back into this realm, I think, at that point. Um, but I feel that if we can manage the content separately to managing the design and give content editors ways to uh, manipulate just the content there in ways that they can understand. Uh, it means that we can build things out that are a little bit more future-friendly in, in ways that you know, aren't tightly coupled between the content management system and the code in the front end so that we can cater for different devices and use the kind of techniques that we're slowly learning as we go uh, when new devices are being um, enabled along the way. And it's kind of easier to say than to do. You know, not every... every uh, situation is going to allow you to say, well, just simplify the CMS. You don't need something huge. You know, people like The Guardian, for instance, aren't going to have just a super simple CMS. But you know, The Guardian has been working on their content management system, their platform, for many years. And it's not done. It's kind of a living bit of software. So the expectation that maybe a client could come to an agency and say, right, in six months, we'd like you to give us this platform, and that will do everything we need, is kind, of kind of a mismatch. And, I've been fortunate in having some success in the past with challenging uh, the customer, challenging the client about what really needs to be dynamic. And having that conversation is a really important step to kind of making things simpler. But you, know, you, it, you don't get there straight away. You, know, you ask once and you say, well, you know, it all needs to be dynamic at some point. And you say, no, but what really needs to be dynamic? So, okay, well, this, you know, the contact us bit needs to change and then this bit. And you say, no, what really needs to be dynamic? And they kind of break down and say, okay, everything's fine, but we just need a news site. And you know, it's almost like that moment in, in Goodwill Hunting where you know, he's, the, uh, Robin Williams and Matt Damon are having that conversation. You're saying, son, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. And finally, he breaks down. Yeah, I just need a blog. Um, so, one of the ways that that gets responded to often is, yeah, but one day we might need to do X, Y, and Z. Um, probably people are kind of familiar with this term, right? Yagni, you ain't going to need it. We, we go to great lengths to try and make sure that things are going to be flexible and going to work for everything that we can imagine in the future. But often that just gets in the way of getting things done and getting things out there and getting them into, into production. And so really kind of challenging exactly what is essential and versus what is something that's a nice to have is an important step. So you know, I'm all about this kind of ruthlessly pursuing this simplicity. Um, since things can be a little bit complex, one of the things that I've seen a lot is that the person responsible for managing content ends up being a developer. And developers, I don't think many of us really want to spend our time in a big kind of enterprise content management system, turning buttons on and off and kind of cleaning up other people's content entry. But given that developers are often involved there, it kind of begs the question for me, why, why don't we just use the available skills? You know, if the, out of this scenario, this is the person doing the work, then frankly there, HTML skills are much more available than skills in a given content management system. You know, 
development processes are much more um, widespread and available and have a bigger pool of people to hire from than uh, knowledge of a particular content management system. And I think actually that turns out to be a better way of avoiding lock-in lock -in, and a way that we should really make the case to, agent, to clients and state that you know, we should maybe look at something that's a bit simpler than this big exotic CMS. Um, there are also examples of doing things without any kind of CMS, right, that still give you that kind of flexibility. And I'm not talking about just writing everything by hand. You know, there are things out there that kind of provide you templating engines and kind of give you kind of patterns to use and conventions to follow. This is a particularly good one. I, I guess most, a lot of people have seen this, right? So Jekyll is just uh, a bit of Ruby that lets you write, uh, write your content and use some templating logic, and it just spits out static HTML. Actually, a lot of sites that I've worked on could really have just made use of this and wouldn't have needed to pay any money at all for a content management system. Naturally, that's not suitable for everyone, but you'd be surprised how many big brands have built things that need occasional revision of content, but they don't need everyone to be able to tweak things and turn them on and off. This solution, not only would it have been free in terms of licensing, frankly, you could host it on GitHub. Very, very simple. Another example of something that I really like um, is Perch. Um, so Perch is, you know, it does pit itself as being uh, a really small CMS, um, but it's really simple. And the thing that I love about it most is that it focuses on the front end. So it means that you build out your content the way you want it to behave and the way you want it to exist in the browser. And then you identify the bits of content that you want to allow to be content manageable. And you wrap those in a particular tag, and then that goes off and it creates the admin behind it in a different view of the site. It's a really powerful thing that is actually very, very simple to use. Um, I asked uh, so Drew McClellan, who's um, one of the founders with um, Rachel Andrew, in fact, uh, behind that product. I was asking them if it could be used just to spit out static HTML files, because I'm really a bit of a fan of going really simple. You know, and if you've got sites that get a lot of traffic, then static files perform really nicely. Uh, and he said, well, it doesn't actually work that way at the moment, but you could just stick varnish in front of it, and it scales up really, really nicely. Um, so I think that is a little bit of a nicer way of doing things than an approach that is quite common in agencies. Um, agencies often follow a really waterfall process, right? Um, very often, a, a project will follow this course of there being user experience design, and then some visual design, and then the front-end development happens, and then there's this dreaded integration with a platform that you have to work with. And it's, you know, there are problems all the way down there, and as we've been talking about for the last couple of days, waterfall is problematic. Um, but it's really hard in agencies not to work in a waterfall kind of a way, because clients want to know what they're going to get, when they're going to get it, and how much it's going to cost. So an agile approach is actually really difficult to do well, so we have to find places where we can borrow from agile and do them just in, in, in uh, little islands sometimes. But this bottom stage, this kind of front-end development integration uh, uh, phase, is just where a lot of the problems come in, and that's where all of our good work, where we've really tried to craft something beautifully, gets kind of stunk up by the CMS. So, to finish, um, I'm really just kind of hoping that I can engage you in this kind of battle to challenge the introduction of content management system stink uh, and think a lot about 
when you're starting a new project that maybe has a CMS involved, or if you're working with a client to choose a platform, kind of really hold some of this stuff up as things that you really want to care for and try and battle this CMS stink. Because that's the only way that you can um, fight for the opportunity to build things out in the way that you, you really want them to exist um, and so you can do good work on the, on, on the web. Uh, with that, that's it um, for me. Um, kind of thanks to the people I've stolen uh, work from uh, and also uh, a few links on here. I'll put these slides up on SlideShare uh, shortly after, after this session. Thank you very much. Well done. Thank you. Oh, this ah, the fun of .NET content management systems. Oh, yeah. I left that world eight years ago. And actually it's quite fun because the, the view state is just a setting in .NET that has been removed for four years. They just have a really old <laughs> install on their own website. Brilliant. It was just one of the most stupid things I've ever seen. And every website was like three meg, no matter how much content you had on it. It's yeah. just incredible. Well, it's the kind of thing that I always expect um, we, could, we could tune out and there must be some way to turn it off. But yeah, that screen grab was from a couple of days ago. It's a classic that these agencies are... It's a classic that these, uh, these company management systems don't upgrade their own websites, only the ones that they do for clients, not realizing they're shooting themselves in the foot to any developer that wants to start working for them. Right. But that's, that's true of so many things. I mean, agency websites are often kind of notoriously terrible because it's the last thing to get real love and attention in an agency quite often um, yeah. because we're working on things for the client and it's the thing that we will fix it up. It's like the, you know, the, the builder's house is the one that always needs the most building work. Yeah. Do, do you think also uh, that we're shooting ourselves in the foot as developers a bit? I think there was an article in 2001, 2002 or something that actually said that web developers should not be like uh, uh, car engineers. When you go to get your car repaired, the guy would open the hood, would go in there and swear loudly and very annoyedly about the last guy that repaired your last car. That was a total idiot. Yeah. And we keep doing the same things. We get hired in a new job and our first job is normally to... Oh, I want to rewrite all of that. I cannot use any of the other stuff. So it's no wonder that a client wants to have all what you see is what you get, editor, because they don't want to understand HTML, but they don't want to rely on a developer that might leave in two months' time and the next guy starts from scratch again. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a good point, and uh, I think it is in our DNA as developers to always, I think, I think we talked about it earlier on, um, always expect that you're the people who can do the best job you know best, uh, and we all have different ways of approaching things. So when you arrive on a project that's been around for a while, um, often the first instinct is to go, oh, it's, it's wrong, but often it's a case of just need to learn what's there. Um, but I don't know if introducing WYSIWYG is the best way to avoid that, because WYSIWYG has to live in concert with other things. No, uh, the, right. the, it's it's the, the, the lifeline that, uh, that, that, that customers then want. Like, I don't want to understand this web stuff. It's also really, really hard, which it isn't. And uh, that's why I want to have what you see is what you get it here, so I'm not dependent. So our job would be that, that uh, to make both WYSIWYG editors unnecessary. By giving people proper documentation and these kind of things. Yeah, so. I mean, I, I totally agree. I think um, the barrier to entry on the kind of uh, management system that we've got often is much higher than just going off and writing the code in the first place. So I, I think um, 
for the person that actually would be responsible for making those changes usually isn't the, just the person who's written the content in the first place. It gets handed on for someone else. And often the first thing that they've got to do is they've got to learn the system and learn how it works. And WYSIWYG is one thing, but it actually lives within a larger environment that they need to learn first. And often I think they probably would have been done and finished and on to the next thing if it was just some HTML. Uh, and, and that often can be the way with some good version control. That, that can be a way to really have, avoid having to use these systems in, in the first place. What about the things that good CMS, the three or four that are out there, uh, actually are good at, like localization, internationalization, and changing different branding and, and uh, blueprinting? Right. That's not as easy in these hard-coded versions. No, agreed. But um, I don't know if... So, so that's definitely a, a good use case for content management systems, but that really is more a question of applying different templates in different cases. That Having a need for localization of content isn't quite the same thing as having the need for a system where you can regularly and readily maintain the content and change the content that's in there. Um, just because it's something that's localized and across lots of languages doesn't mean that it needs to change very often. Um, so I think in many ways we're employing a system that solves one problem to, to, to fix something completely different. You know, they're addressing different issues. So um, while that is a common use case for them and it's something that's a bit more difficult to do with just some simple templating, um, I don't know if those are the most efficient or cost-effective ways of solving those problems. I mean, I'd, I'd for instance, much rather use uh, a good MVC framework for, for fixing the, some of those things sometimes and applying different templates for different cases uh, as opposed to having a content management system that you've got to learn how to use before you can say the right thing in French. So is it probably the, the, just the case of waiting for the old school product managers and project managers to die out that really drank the Kool-Aid in the 80s that one system can do everything for them till the end of the world? Yeah, I, I honestly don't know. I mean, I have this, this argument a lot. Um, and I, th I think we just need to demonstrate it in a few high-profile cases. I think you know, it, there's a certain amount of momentum that happens when um, a a big site uh, for a big brand is, well, that's built on a big expensive uh, platform, and that's the way it's kind of, it's accepted that it's done. Um, I think we need to have one or two examples where a really kind of lo-fi, much more um, uh, efficient uh, solution has been used um, that really gets some, some notoriety to then demonstrate that it, it can be done. Isn't the problem the big brands, they don't want to talk about any of the internals? So even if that's a success story, we wouldn't be allowed to talk about that they use templating for this and that. For that's it. where, yeah, maybe maybe that's true. But I, I don't know. I mean, I think uh, I, I think maybe we'll notice a little bit by not seeing any stink in there. Right? Yeah. It'll be it'll be notable by its absence. I found it incredibly uh, incredibly annoying as a web developer to basically never have a portfolio. Because when you work in an agency, you do yeah. something cool, you're really impressed with it, and right. then you leave the company, and two years later, you see stuff like you see there. Exactly. So burning DVDs and CDs of my stuff was basically saving me so many times. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I had the same exact thing when I, I, when I started out. I was building um, uh, software that went into uh, banks, and you know, that doesn't exist anywhere else. I could never really point to it. You know, it's, it's, it's often the way with kind of building things like this that you don't get to point at it later on, and agencies are, are difficult like that sometimes. Do you think that the next thing will be like libraries and things that people use? Like you, we have CMS putting things in, but we also have people that then like, uh, I've had clients where I made a little website with a bit of JavaScript, and a year later I found like three Dojo at widgets, two jQuery things, and a YUI thing in there because they like the carousel in each of them. Right. Uh, 
yeah, you see that a lot. I mean, it's the same example as you were talking about earlier on of, you know, a new team comes on there and they've got another way of doing it and don't often clean up behind them, but you kind of slowly add more layers to this thing. And I think that, that happens a lot. I mean, there are, there are projects that I've worked on, um, some at previous places, some where I am now, that frankly, I'd love the chance to go and refactor them. You don't often get a chance when you're working at an agency to go and refactor things and then make them as beautiful as you wanted the first time around. It's, it's that kind of that tension between just hitting the deadline and then getting it out there. Yeah, the, we, we fix it later is just a myth. I've never seen that happening. It's like, uh, you, you, as a developer, you sometimes have to push back and like, oh, no, I need another week. But, but do you think um, we fix it later can happen when you're working on a product, working on your own product, or do you think it just doesn't happen anywhere? Um, on their own product, without any other product owners, maybe, but right. um, even inside Yahoo, where the same product was for five years, it was always like, get it out there, and then we fix the next bit right. rather than the last one. But I guess there's also a difference between we'll fix it later and we'll add this capability later. Yeah. Um, because I think if you, if you start from a really, kind of like the lowest common denominator, and there's only one thing you need to actually change, then enable that, and then you'll be working quite happily until you discover you have another need, and then you can layer that on. Um, I think there's a certain class of sites where that can be really effective, but then of course there's another entirely different tier of sites where that just, just wouldn't work at all. So I think it's knowing what the right approach is and what, where the context is appropriate. I think a very important part that you did was just show bad code of somebody who did something after you and explain what happened. Like that this thing came from a what you see is what you get editor or from a framework. Right. I think we're far too... Uh, we're far too good in pointing out mistakes in other websites by looking just at the source code without understanding where that mess came from. Right, yeah, and of course no, no one wrote that. No one wrote that nonsense. The last person probably to touch that code might have, might have been me. Um, so uh, so it's, you know, I'm, I'm disappointed at how my child has grown. <laughs> <laughs> With that, thank you very much. Thanks very much.